0: Today's reading is by Dan Hotchkiss. It's called The Rabbis. The job was to facilitate what may have been the most diverse and ecumenical gathering of rabbis ever. Tension was apparent even as the rabbis started to arrive. Men in black with side locks and long beards, women wearing yarmulkes and tallit spanning all the major branches, orthodox, conservative, reform and reconstructionist. One man, unwilling to conform to any of the standard movements, had organized his own. Most amazingly, one rabbi greeting everyone and vigorously shaking hands with all the men was from the Lubavitch Shabbat, a movement which irritates and worries all the others. Chabad centers with their mystical ideas and lack of dues have become a nuisance in the view of many synagogues. With so much variety, you might imagine 50 or 100 participants, but the little room had only 14 people in it. 15 if you counted me, 16 if you counted Elaine Goldstein, the woman laying out refreshments who was about to leave. Elaine worked for the Jewish Federation where she worried about rabbis. She found them lonely, isolated, stressed, and for all their Jewish learning, ill-prepared for the realities of life and congregations. So, one by one, Elaine schmoozed and nudged the rabbis into coming. She called the Alban Institute and got me. My bio on the website says I help with planning, governance, training, conflict, etc. Another way to say it, though, is I walk into a group I don't belong to where neither I nor anybody else knows what will happen, and I watch while something does. For this three-day rabbinical retreat, I had prepared three days' worth of material. We were going to learn together about growth and decline in congregations, goal-setting, accountability. I might as well have saved myself the trouble. We started the first evening with a go-around, a check-in, which took much longer than planned because Elaine was right. These rabbis, even more than many other clergy, had a lot to share and a lot they couldn't talk about with anyone else, because a lot of what a rabbi or a minister experiences you can't imagine. Of all the pains and troubles that poured out that evening, one rose right to the top of our agenda. One rabbi, Jacob, had a yarzit, and he asked the group to form a minion to say Kaddish. Minyan is Hebrew for a group of 10 who form a quorum for a prayer group. Kaddish is Aramaic for one of the most moving and important prayers in the tradition, a prayer for the dead. Yazrit is Yiddish for year time and anniversary. The rabbi Jacob had lost his brother. He was asking the group to pray with him. Now you can imagine what rough seas we were heading into. Some of the w- rabbis wouldn't count a woman in a Minyan. Some of them wouldn't even pray unless men were physically separated from the women. And a couple of the women made it clear they would not be separated and they would be counted. (laughs) I ceased being the facilitator. I became instead the odd spectator of a learned debate among a group of 14 rabbis about how to reconcile their differences in order to achieve a goal they all agreed on. Kaddish must be said. A bereaved Jew's request to form a minion for his brother was a great mitzvah a non debatable priority. And this is where we hung for a while. Me, awed at the willingness of people who were in such sharp disagreement about so many things, struggling with their differences in the name of a shared purpose. And at our best, this is what we do in congregations. We struggle with our differences in the name of a shared purpose. But we don't always. Sometimes we lose track of our purpose. It took most of a day for the rabbis to solve the problem, 14 of them speaking English, Aramaic, Hebrew, and when they got really angry, Yiddish. They all agreed, Kaddish must be said. In that community, there is no doubt that covenant had created a new thing, a center of loyalty to which all owed their best and strongest efforts. In the end, the Orthodox conceded the most. They found a local congregation where they could say Kaddish simultaneously with the rabbi's minion. The women adjusted their participation to accommodate some of the more moderate men. In the end, Rabbi Jacob had not one minion, but two. And I, a functional illiterate for most of my own retreat, left with a gift of lasting awe for 14 rabbis' willingness to struggle with their differences in the name of shared purpose.
1: So this is my fifth homily for a congregational meeting at the Unitarian Church of Lincoln. (coughs) Homilies for congregational meetings are, uh, are their own genre of sermons. Say something meaningful that sets the tone for the work that the congregation is going to do at the meeting following the sermon, but also that says something deep and spiritual for worship. And also do it in 10 minutes because you've told the board that the service itself will take 45 minutes total. (laughs) We'll we'll be close. (laughs) On these occasions over the last two years, I've talked about our legacy of congregational polity and democracy. The history of this congregation, what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist Church the history of our movement. I read over those sermons when I was thinking about what to say today. This time though, I I wanna um, speak more about us. We're in the midst of our third year together. Us being myself and this congregation You've all called me to be the minister of this church in 2017. And somewhere in the first couple years of ministry, the dynamics between a new minister and a congregation shift a little bit. When I started, I think when most ministers start, there's a a line in Hodgkiss' story that rings true. I walk into a group I don't belong to where neither I nor anybody else knows what will happen and I watch when something does. That is basically your first year of ministry. (coughs) But then the transition, one of the transitions that you notice, is when it stops feeling like you've walked into a group that you don't belong to, which I suppose is its own sermon. And briefly, though, for our newest members, there are actually at least three times when you join a Unitarian Universalist congregation. The first is when you sign the book, and when you get up here and we hand you a rose. And the second is when you stop calling it the church and you start calling it my church, and you realize six months after you've made that transition that you've made it. And then the third is why we use roses instead of carnations. Roses have thorns. The third time you join a church is when the church breaks your heart and you stay anyway. the third year of ministry has a certain reputation <laughs> you may know this it's like it's like two year olds have a reputation the third year of ministry has a certain reputation it's not a great one has a reputation of being a really hard year in ministry because first it's no longer a new ministry The honeymoon between minister and congregation usually has ended. I assume that there are things about me that you overlooked two and a half years ago. (laughs) Or perhaps found charming. (laughs) Things that might now grate a little bit. There are things, things that shall remain nameless in sermons that I did not see two years ago. Nameless except for the poltergeist in the copier. <laughs> One of these days I may follow through with my often threatened exorcism. <laughs> but in the, in the third year of ministry, the, the unearned goodwill of a new ministry has often started to dwindle, and the, the long-term trust that accompanies long ministries is still, uh, it's not yet fully there. And so it's, so it's this in-between moment. And while that's going on, the third year is also when a lot of big changes usually happen. The first two years are spent getting to know each other and building groundwork. And in the third year of most ministries, some of the longer-term projects that have been in planning for a year or two suddenly start to become visible. And so it's a year of change. And we've certainly seen that this fall, there are some big changes coming in January. We're going to talk about them at the meeting, from adding a second service to rethinking when committees meet and how we support them. This is, these are big changes. And as Dan Hodgkiss says in a different reading, no matter how liberal a church is, churches as institutions are usually temperamentally conservative. The church has been here for generations. It will be here for generations, and that makes changing things fast, hard. So faced with major shifts and changes, most church systems, most not all, respond with both excitement and anxiety. And so this is where we get back to the rabbis. I love the story Dan Hodgkiss tells of learned rabbis debating passionately held beliefs that seem irreconcilable. And yet, they share a mitzvah, a non-debatable priority. That's the thing that makes the story work. Not that the rabbis were reasonable enough to all agree, not that Dan is the perfect facilitator to bring them all together, but that they were all dedicated to finding a way to do this one thing together. Dedicated enough to stay at the table for hours, arguing in English, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, and in Yiddish. Until they found a way to do the thing, they all agreed was their shared purpose. This has always struck me as a good story to describe congregational life. So, what is the shared purpose, the shared center in this community? The inner consultant in me, (laughs) (laughs) the one that's taken online classes from Dan Hodgkiss, the trained professional or the advisor to the Board of Trustees wants to say that the vision of this congregation that we proclaim on our website, on radio ads, on each Sunday morning we gather together is this The Unitarian Church of Lincoln is a loving community uniting spe- reason with spiritual exploration to transform ourselves and the world. That's our vision statement. And it is, that is as succinct and beautiful an expression of our aspirations as I can imagine. I preached about it to start the year. You'll hear at the meeting in a few minutes that we've organized our whole strategic planning ideas around that. <laughs> and it's not what I kept coming back to when I wrote the sermon. What is the shared center of this community? What's the burning coal at the heart of this place? What I fell in love with in this congregation was that you all pitch in. I don't know of another congregation in the whole of Unitarian Universalism that has such a sense of itself as a a place where people show up and pitch in. From cleaning up super supper, to stepping up to increase your pledge, to folks taking on new volunteer roles, to visiting each other at home, to visiting each other in the hospital, to volunteering to coordinate a memorial service on a Saturday, to losing sleep over how to most accurately present a budget proposal or run a congregational meeting, to putting together a public presentation for a longtime member that we are recognizing. Y'all, that is the last 48 hours of this church. That's this weekend. So here's what I want to tell you before this meeting that we're going to have. And in the midst of what I keep hearing is supposed to be a hard year of ministry when the honeymoon is supposed to be over. And this is what I want our newest members to hear, to find. I love this place. I love this congregation. Who cares about the honeymoon? I love it more than the day I started here. (laughs) I am so proud to be a part of this place with all of you. I love you. I am in awe of you. And I cannot wait to see what happens next. Amen.